Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 non-stop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is green and gold history. 50 plus years of stories, championships, and colorful characters. This is A's baseball. This is green and gold history. Now time for another edition of A's Green and Gold History, and no one knows more history about the Oakland Athletics than Steve Vucinich. He's been with the ball club since 1968. He truly is an A's legend. The great Steve Vucinich is with us here. Vuce, how are you down in the Valley of the Sun? It's hot. It's hot here. It's 105. It'll be 111 on Monday. I'm not used to this. Yeah, you. I mean, basically, you, you know, f- whenever you move down to Arizona, you've always been used to the summertime in the Bay Area. You, 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 you've never hung out this long in Arizona during the summer. Never, ever. One time I was here during the All Star break and it got to 116. And I didn't think it was that bad, but when you get consistent days over 100 and it doesn't cool off much at night, maybe down to 80, it starts to get to you. It's like Buffalo in the winter. So, like, if you're going to play golf, what time do you need to tee off before it gets brutal? Well, uh, in this area, if you tee off and get done by, say, 1230, you're okay. So, you know, and there aren't a lot of people playing right now. So, like the other day, I played in three hours. Uh, A couple times I actually teed off at 615 in the morning and got done in less than three hours. It was pretty nice. But... You know, it's six fifteen in the morning. It's still seventy five degrees. Yeah, it's crazy. I've never been to Arizona in the summertime. I've only been there during spring training, so I, I've never experienced what that's like. When you start saying one hundred and sixteen, my God! Hey, it's a dry heat. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. It's a dry, like like what like your 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 pool's not even refreshing, right? <laughs> You know, I don't have to heat my hot tub. I know that. It's plenty warm. (laughs) So we're looking back at the 1989 team, and you think about what that team was like. They were rock stars. I I mean, for me, I was a high school baseball player at the time. You just idolized this team. There were so many great players. There should be more than two Hall of Famers. What was it like being around during this, you know, 88, 89, 90, 91? This was a great period for the A's. 
You know what? It started about 86, 87 the, with the advent of more um, uh, trading cards, uh, bubblegum cards and stuff. And so there were more companies and there were more collectors. So everywhere we went, the lobbies were packed. We had to have roped off areas. A couple of the hotels, we had to go in the back doors and take uh, freight elevators or service elevators up to our rooms. Uh, there were just so many people in the lobby. And, and it was likened to a rock a rock band of some sort. Maybe the Beatles were in town or, or even, you know, the Stones or whatever. And it was such a conglomeration of fans. And, of course, we had a couple of leaders in, in those areas of uh, being famous for cars and Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco. So fans wanted their autographs. They just wanted to sit there and watch them, look at them, watch them get out in the lobby, and go on the bus to the hotel or to the or to the ballpark. So, you know, they were like rock stars. Um, it was uh, a big security concern. Uh, we stayed in a hotel next to the old stadium in Arlington, and the hotel was literally 75 yards. The visiting clubhouse entrance, 75 yards to the hotel property, and the hotel had to send vans down into the parking lot there and pick up the players and take them 75 yards to the hotel because there were thousands of fans lining the uh, walkway in between. You know, Jose Canseco might be the first guy that, or first athlete, I should say, that the paparazzi really was following him. Like you know, when that, that famous when he's coming out of Madonna's apartment in New York. I, I don't think our younger fans really – understand what a star Jose Canseco was in the late 80s. Oh, sure. His cover boy, good-looking Latino kid, big muscles, tall, prodigious home runs. Uh, yeah, he was a big-time star. And uh, though I don't know if they followed him there or they're just waiting for Madonna to come out to be truthful. <laughs> I'll never forget that. That was like Madonna and Jose. And then, and then Jose is Go, you know, acting like he's going to go into the stands in New York and take guys out at Old Yankee Stadium. That was a big story. <laughs> sure. And the funny thing was, is uh, Dave Henderson's on the bus, and there's a picture of Jose coming out of uh, Madonna's apartment, and here it is, like six hours later. And Henderson looks at, at Jose and goes, hey, "You were in the same clothes you came out of Madonna's apartment in." <laughs> and James. What was it like when, because I know Sandy Alderson actually told us down at the winter meetings in San Diego, you know, there was a debate whether they should bring Ricky back or not. Like now you think it'd be a no brainer, but back then you're like, do, do, do you want that personality? And do you want the guy back in your clubhouse? What was it like? Uh, Cause you deal with everybody who comes in and out of that clubhouse. What was it like when the A's reacquired Ricky Henderson? It was pretty exciting. I think he was a missing ingredient. Uh, I mean, in 88, forget the World Series, but he was just going to add so much in 89. We got him in, I think, June of 89, and he came in, and uh, he was a spark plug, got us going again. Uh, we were in a pennant race, I think, versus the Angels more that year than anybody else, and uh, he, Ricky could just turn it on. It was never – really Ricky never had a bad personality. Sometimes he got a – in the earliest career, he might have been a little moody or something, but uh, he always played, played hard. Ricky wanted to do good. Yeah, well, what, what what an incredible player he was. And you, you just think that, that when you look at, I mean, you were around the greatest A's of all time, 
And I think Reggie Jackson, uh, we mentioned Jose and Mark McGuire, uh, guys that was Jason Giambi was a terrific player. But really, there's been no one like Ricky Henderson. Absolutely not. In, in 89, we acquired him, and now we've got Toronto in the playoffs. And Ricky in that game four in Toronto that Saturday, just he dominated that game. Stolen bases, home run, center field off the glass. Uh, he, he was a complete player and just took over that whole series. He he upset Ernie Witt so bad in the game two in Oakland because he'd stolen three or four bases in the first two games, and he kind of tiptoed into second base when Ernie Witt didn't uh, make a throw, and Ernie thought he was showing him up. But that was just Ricky being Ricky. But total domination of that 89 playoff series against Toronto. I think about Dave Stewart being such a big game pitcher. You know, coming kind of out of nowhere, and one of the great stories is that he learns his 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 forkball from Sandy Koufax. Uh, it, it's uh, you know asking Sue about that on the show was just incredible. When you're talking about Sandy Koufax and Dave Stewart, what was it like being around him back in those days? Because he seemed so intimidating. You knew what a tough guy he was. He's a black belt, but what a winner and what a gamer. Well, the funny thing is, is I had never met Stu until he came into my visiting clubhouse with Texas. He had already been with the Dodgers. I didn't know him, but I knew he went to St. Elizabeth. I knew he signed as a catcher. And uh, then all of a sudden, and I knew, you know, the frown, although it wasn't as popular back then as he became with the A's and associated with him then. But all of a sudden he came into the visiting clubhouse and he wanted to ask me about a kid that he had worked out with that had work for me was now a San Francisco fireman. He said, you seen Mo? And all of a sudden this high pitched voice came and I'm thinking, is this guy screwing me? I never Dave never knew Dave Stewart had such a high pitched voice. And I thought it was really messing with him. But uh getting to know him um then and then when uh I know he went to Philadelphia after and he signed with us a great career with us, a great person. When the Raiders left and went to L.A., there was a void there. The Raiders Lineman's Club used to go to Children's Hospital. And this group that I was involved with, a bunch of business people that hung out at the Oakland Hyatt, uh, would go to Mervyn's, and Mervyn's would give us or charge us cut-rate prices for toys. And the Raiders would have a few linemen or just players from the Raiders go to the Children's Hospital and give them away. Well, the void with the Raiders not being around in December before Christmas, we enlisted uh, Dave Stewart, and I think Michael Davis lived there then, uh, Dwayne Murphy, and we'd go to uh, Children's Hospital to give those away. And and we, and we didn't care if we got publicity for it. It was just a good thing to do before the holidays. Well, every year after the first year, Dave Stewart would call me about the 1st of December and say, hey, when are we going to Children's Hospital? That's the kind of guy he was and what he did for the community. You know, you mentioned the uh, later, the Raiders locker room. Uh, are you going to utilize that now? I mean, it's a huge locker room. I mean, there's a lot you could do with that. There is. It's bigger, especially with us having spring training, too, in Oakland. We, try, we still need to try to separate the players. I don't think we'll get complete separation, but I've already earmarked and and done a, a schematic of by position for lockers. I've got the exact count of lockers and, and where they are. So we are going to utilize the Raider locker room. I mean, the original plan was to remodel it and use that as the age clubhouse and, and cut it up and partition it. But right now we're going to go in there and, 
use the training facilities and uh, still have the weight room and still have some uh, things in the current age clubhouse, but we are going to use the Raider locker room when we get back to Oakland, whenever that is. You know, when I think about your job, I mean, you've been doing it for so long, but just kind of give people an idea of like how much stuff you have to order and has to be shipped, whether it's down to Arizona or it's to Oakland, wherever you're traveling. I mean, you're ordering stuff. It's really unbelievable. Well, it's like uh, the week before we uh, the uh, virus shut, shut us down, I had my opening day order of baseballs come into Oakland. That's some 600 dozen. And uh, that's quite a few. And then at the same time, I had uh, a drop shipment down here in Oakland the day before we got shut down, just enough balls to finish the last 10 days. So I've got all those to go on a truck and all the other equipment. And, and when I when I get the truck, it's a 50-foot trailer from Atlas Van Lines, and they pack that thing to the gills. These guys are professionals. We'll probably have about 40,000 pounds of equipment going back. And that's baseballs, bats, shoes, everything you could have. All there's some actual um, uh, weight room equipment, a couple more bikes, and a couple uh, of uh, treadmills, and all the trainers' equipment. And then we've got all the Diamond Vision equipment that's left here from when they were doing all their filming for our games. And, uh, you know, this is this year is going to be above the norm just because of the unusual circumstances. But uh, it's a lot of equipment. We've got the helmets. I mean, there'll probably be 150 helmets shipped back because you have to need. You have to have so many different sizes, and you got left-handed hitters, right-handed hitters, and now you've got the new, what they call the R flaps that the guys have running in front of their face, and those are in three different positions. They have to be ordered. So there's a lot of equipment. It's uh, I used to think it wasn't as much as football, but now I think it is. It's getting close to it. Remember back in the days when you only had to deal with a home home jersey and a road jersey, and that was it? That's it. Two pairs of pants. Two jerseys of each color and two pairs of pants of each color. And, and now, yeah, now we've, we, we actually, we only take two jerseys on the road, but we do wear as many as five jerseys in the course of the season. And that doesn't count specialty days or turn back the clock days or whatever. So, uh, <laughs> and everybody's pants, nobody has the same size pants. I mean, you might have same guy wears a 36 uh, waist and maybe a 39 leg, but it's, is inching 34 and somebody else might be 34 and a half and they might have uh, material taken out of the rise. And, and then when you get the bats, I looked at it last year, only two guys had the same exact model length and weight of bats, but then you get different colors. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of differentiation, a lot of specialization in both uniform wearing helmets, hats, gloves, uh, shoes, and bats. I mean, people just don't realize, I mean, it's, there, there's a, Different jersey for Fourth of July. There's Memorial Day. There's breast cancer awareness. There's prostate cancer. I mean, you, you got to deal with so many different jerseys and hats now. It's amazing the amount of uniform changes that we have in Major League Baseball now. Yeah, you know, in Major League Baseball and Nike, which is now the new provider, uh, uh, and their logo is on the jersey on the, on the uh, right front chest, um, they're trying to streamline it trying to prove that so many jerseys don't equate into uh, sales to fans or whatever. I don't know if that's true, but they're trying to do that, I think, just to pick, so they don't have to manufacture and have so many available. But uh, sometimes when you look at it, and I look at the end of the year, and there's a, there's a white jersey, and there's a gray jersey, and it doesn't look like 
and every player has two. It doesn't look like those have even been worn. But then we've got to uh, get the new ones for next year. So there are a lot of jerseys that are hardly ever worn. Did, were you able to watch the uh, doc the the 1998 home run race documentary on ESPN? Were you able Were you able to watch that? Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was very well done. I, I do too. I know some people have criticized it. I went. I I, I thought it was great. Um, <laughs> when you look back at Mark McGuire, I mean, I mean, pe- people need to know that you become really good friends with everybody in the clubhouse. Anybody that's ever come to Oakland and, and played for the A's, you become very close with. What was what was what was it like? What was Mark McGuire like back in the day? You know, it's funny. Somebody asked him about two years into his career and said, "Hey, how come you got wearing twenty five? And he said, "I don't know. Boost just put twenty five on a jersey with my name on it and hung it in my locker, and that was it." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, he was a kid that I I had seen play in an eighty four Olympic game actually before the uh, uh, workout day at Candlestick in eighty four for the All Star game. They had the Olympic team there. And McGuire was there, and Bobby Witt, Oda B. McDowell, and, and Corey Snyder, a bunch of, a lot of big names that came off that team that went into the big leagues. And we had just drafted him. And um, so I kind of watched his rise through the minor leagues. And we started playing him, and people forget this, at third base. And his first few games in the big leagues was at third base for us. Um, I can't remember uh, what happened to Carney that year, but. Um, that's because we had another phenom at first base, a left-handed hitter and thrower named Rob Nelson. Well, Rob got off to a bad start, so the natural fit was to move McGuire over to first when we played. But the, trying to get him to play a third-base position was just to give us, you know, some more versatility and give him some versatility too. But people forget about that. But uh, you know, he had a great year, 49 home runs, and then didn't play the last game of the season because he went home for the birth of his oldest son. And that was the last day of the season. So who knows? He might have hit 50 that year. But a good guy, a hard worker, a guy determined to uh, make good by his hard work. The steroids thing only came about because of that foot injury. We had uh, he'd hurt his foot, and we had sent him to a special doctor in Houston that worked with track athletes. Um, in fact, uh, a bunch of the sprinters had gone to him. And he got him going, and then I don't know, I don't know how the actual start of steroids, but uh, it helped his foot. And I think it just kept using him. I mean, he I, was strong before that, so I I can't believe it. you're putting a six-five guy out at third base. He'd be like the biggest third baseman of all time. Hey, Cal Ripken was six-four, six-five. That's unbelievable. Yeah, but hey, Cal Ripken mo- could move. <laughs> <laughs> Well, actually, you know, actually, Mac was pretty limber then. I mean, you see how skinny he was, but he's an athlete and he could react. So, and it wasn't very long. I mean, it was there for a dozen games, maybe. I'm not even sure. You know, we, we always say you're the A's historian, and uh, what, what a great – you've had – I mean, I know you've had one before, but the reality is you've, you've never needed a resume. No, <laughs> let's hope I don't have to activate one in the next year or two, too. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's always great having you on. It's all, always a treat. And uh, I can tell you, you know, it's like I, I told David Force this yesterday. I, I, I just miss seeing you guys. I, I miss I miss seeing the gang. I mean, we're so used to seeing each other on a daily basis. And that this is it's it's so bizarre. 
Well, so I, I tell friends around here now, is this what retirement is? I mean, you got 110 degrees. I said, there's no, there's no baseball. I mean, I'll, I'll have the Diamondbacks when I retire down here. But but this is so much like retirement. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't want you retiring anytime soon. I, I got to hang in there for a few more years. You are the best. Be well with the family, and uh, we'll talk soon. All right, Johnny. Take care. Enjoy it as always. Well, we thank Steve Vucinich for coming on, doing a little green and gold history. Now back to A's cast, powered by TuneIn. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.